So banking was turning into a commodity from the standpoint that there was more and more people serving the healthcare industries, especially in dental. All right, we are live for another episode of Dental Marketing Theory. And before we jump into today's show, please take a moment and go leave us a review. It takes you three seconds. We have thousands of listeners, but I only have about 50 reviews. And it doesn't matter what you're listening on. Any platform that you're listening on, you can go leave a review. You can give a thumbs up. You can even just push the little five stars or one stars if you hate us. I'm fine with that too. Just leave some kind of feedback. It really, really helps us. And today, I have Mark Flock from... Polaris. And I'm excited to talk to him because he comes from a world of banking. And actually, I don't want to steal your thunder, but you actually used to work with East West Bank with DeWalker, who's one of the founders of Polaris and recently just had parents been on our podcast twice. And he's just one of the smartest guys that I know. And now you're working there. So you got you came over this year. So let's start with why did you jump from the bank world and coming over and working with Polaris and helping Dennis navigate the world of banking? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Gary. Uh, I was in banking for roughly about 10, 11 years, working with dentists, a lot around the tran- transition side of things. Uh, really enjoyed it. I, I just kind of saw that industry being more of a turning into a commodity. Um, a lot of more banks kept coming out. Uh, I mean, in the last 10 years, it's been aggressive. Um, just and I also just realized, in dental you're referring to or just in general? Bank just in general. It, it's, yeah, just in dental, but healthcare in general. Uh, when I was at PNC Bank prior to coming over here, I did everything when it came to you know working with dentists primarily, as well as medical doctors and veterinarians, as well as some pharmacists. So there was a lot. I mean, I saw healthcare as a whole um, and all the different differences between the three, I guess, markets. Uh, really enjoyed it. Really liked helping out clients. But I kind of realized 5% of what I did was more consultative, um, but it was about 95% of what I enjoyed most. Um, so that's when I actually had contacts in the industry over the last 10, 12 years, um, remain in contact with DeWalker Sinha, uh, who was uh, basically starting up Polaris at the time last year and had some conversations with him. And it, it just was a perfect fit. And, and I kind of saw what they were looking to achieve um, and the steps they were making in the industry. And it just seemed perfect because I really saw the, the DSO space or the group practice space really starting to blow up in the last five to 10 years, especially yeah. really during COVID to some degree. And uh, just saw the opportunity because it was really an underserved market, um, in my opinion, from a consulting perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of people out there that want to get into it, but they don't know where to start. Yeah. So that, it's that's a, where... It's a big that, mystery. Exactly. Hey, before we go any further in the show, I need you to visit a website for me, dentalmarketingmanager.com. If you're a dental office that has somebody managing your some of your marketing internally, it's so important that you get them trained. And right now, there is no standard. There is no set of KPIs that people use to build out this position. And so it's been a little bit like the wild, wild west, but we're aiming to change that. On December 8th and 9th of 2022, we are going to be hosting the first ever dental marketing bootcamp. And we're going to be covering everything that there is to know about being a marketing manager, all the KPIs, how to partner with a marketing vendor, how to build out a position, how to get more patient referrals, 2023 plan calendared out, and everything that, again, that you're going to need to manage your dental marketing. And this is not something that you're going to want to miss if you are a marketing manager. And 
you're not going to want to have your team miss this if you have somebody helping you internally with your marketing. So we hope that you will come. A lot of the SMC clients are going to be there. And if you don't work with SMC, that's totally fine. We still want you there. We want to help you. We want to help your businesses grow. So go check us out, dentalmarketingmanager.com. And please go uh, sign up. We have limited space, limited opportunities, and we hope to see you there. So So let's work through that. So banking was turning into a commodity from the standpoint that there was more and more people serving the healthcare industries, especially in dental. So now you have where before you might've been like this really specialized guy that can help grow uh, uh, with, with debt through the banks and you can really be there to support them. Now everybody's kind of cutting their throat, each other's throats and there's tons of competitors and it really just becomes down to the commodity of not the relationship with the bank, but just you have a bazillion offers. If you don't want to do it, somebody else have 10 other offers to do that. What, what attracted you? You said that I know that the, that the DSO is underserved. What exactly is underserved that attract you that drew you in to now work on the opposite end of that banking relationship? Yeah, I think and there's there's a lot of things. I mean, probably could talk 30 minutes about that to some degree. Is I, I like I said, I think a lot of people have an idea of what it looks like. You know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, as they say, from a sell side perspective, they're hearing multiples that are being paid out, um, but there may be three to five locations to start with, and they want to get there. They may be in their 30s or 40s or even 50s, and they want to get there, but they just don't know where to start. They also hear about the landmines that a lot of their peers have have fallen on accidentally. So, and that's where working with someone or having a partner, whether it's Polaris or another firm, to kind of help avoid a lot of those landmines before actually stepping on them and being a million dollar or two hundred thousand dollar mistake, is what I really enjoy. Is, is is more of the how can I help you avoid making those costly mistakes and, and just watching your success as a business owner and just being an integral part. Early on in that process, you know, just yeah, it means you a ton lose, to me is you lose some of that, that in the banking world, right? Do you lose? Correct. Some, I've never worked it, in a it's bank. Very transactional. Mm. Yeah. So you're just following yeah, sorry, an it, SOP, right? Yeah, and and, and I, like I said, primarily I was in the business banking space, um, except for East West Bank. That was we did some DSO financing and we did a lot of education, you know, at that role. But a lot of it's very transactional to some degree. And I know, you know, PNC did an excellent job of not necessarily making it transactional and offering the full package of ancillary services and really trying to help out with the operations. But when it comes to loans and banking, especially in that space, it comes down to rate, you know, speed, um, approval details and structure. And, and it's really, that's, I don't want to say it's a commodity, but it's, it's turning into that a little bit um, because there's so many lenders and it, it's just becoming a, I mean, it, it just, there's 30 banks that can that do what you want to do from a lending standpoint. But once you get to the group practice space, it then starts to change. And it changed drastically on what they need, why they need it, how fast they need it, the dollar amounts, and looking forward versus looking backwards from a financial perspective. So that's what, that's what I really enjoy. That's what I've had a lot of experience in. Um, I think Polaris does an excellent job in, in actually helping clients prepare for that, yeah. first and foremost and help pull them along through the process, which can be very tedious at times because it's, it's a whole nother space, you know, in the middle yeah, market it's a whole, space. It's a whole new skill lending. set, right? Correct. It's a whole, yep. Yeah. You go from just, Hey, I need to get a little bit of money to open my practice or I need to buy a house. And then you start to scale and it's a totally different beast and totally different set of rules that you're playing by. So what are, you said, um, helping them navigate through some of these pain points 
that they just don't see, right? That you just don't know about. What would you say are some of those pain points that people are dealing with on a regular basis that just catch people by surprise and working with somebody like yourself, you're able to help them navigate? Yeah, that's a a great question. And it really depends on kind of what their situation they have today. You know, do they have a structure or a platform in place to scale up or to grow? If they don't, that's something they may need to invest in to to start the process because you don't want to create it five practices later and have to unwind everything and and spend even more money and more time and effort trying to go backwards before they can go forward. So Mm -hmm. what a lot of doctors don't necessarily see, unfortunately, is that that process, it could take two years, could take a year, could take three years. And a lot of times they're taking a pay cut um, in the first couple of years in order to do so. And, And that's something we help to educate them and show them what all that looks like. So they understand what they're getting into, what that pay cut may be to hire someone to take over their spot clinically in the chair, which is a kind of a big difference for them. You know, it might be a $200,000, $150,000 hit initially plus added costs. But once they have that platform in place, they can then start scaling up, you know, with the right lender and the right, you know, guidance line and things like that to grow quickly. At the same time, I'm sure you've heard about it and I've heard some of your podcast, you know, associates right now, you know, attracting and retaining associates is a big issue for these group practices trying to scale up. Um, it, it, a lot of times they're running a particular location. Uh, so that's something where we try to get out in front of that, provide equity programs for associates mm, and offer that yeah. if that's a need. And, and that's something we'll be speaking at, you know, and we, a lot of our speaking sessions are around that because yeah. that's a huge need. And it's the cornerstone of everything, and right? If you don't have dentists, right. you yeah. can't grow a dental practice. It's kind of hard. Especially if they're producing a million dollars a year. And you might make you know $150,000, in EBITDA off that particular business for that person producing. Uh, that can be a big hit to the overall model if you lose two real quick um, versus swooping them up, putting them in long-term contracts, and then creating a culture, which is another one, another point. You know, culture can kill DSOs very quickly and can spread very quickly amongst the and different locations. You guys locations. come in there and fix all their culture for them, right? Like you go into the office and <laughs> fix all their problems? Uh, not quite. Uh, <laughs> that's a playing. great question. Which totally, we could, totally but yeah, 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 no, but that, that's part of, once again, not to go back with the, you know, strategic consulting and the leadership programs, really trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be the Achilles heel growing, you know, mm-hmm. is it particular, yep. you know, staff members? Um, is it, is it operational items that, that are issues? Um, like I said, good culture. Um, another thing is, you know, a pitch deck, you know, sometimes when you're recruiting talent, even if it's a hygienist or, or a different, you know, like associate. Um, it might be like having a pitch deck explaining to the person you're hiring why they should come work for you at ABC. Yeah, which dental. is which is common um, everywhere else, right? So in every other industry, this is like a common thing. But in dental, it's just we're we've we just now experienced this labor crunch. So it's like now everybody's kind of playing catch up, and I love that. I, I'm going to give you a horror story about banking, and I want I would love your thoughts on this of how prevalent it is. So I was just at perfect. a conference recently. <laughs> okay, cool. So I was just at a conference recently and I was talking to a doctor and they were um actually no, he was he was a DSO owner and uh turned consultant and had a bunch of D- a bunch of locations, sold them all and now he consults. So he was walking me through what happened to him and at one point they were getting credit lines from their bank and their credit lines were great, they're a couple million bucks and every time they opened up the practice and they were doing de novos, I believe, 
and revenue started to come in, then they'd say, cool, we'll refresh your credit line and you can open up another one or another two and we'll do that to the moon and back, right? And he was just like, I'm never going to need private equity. I'm never going to need anything. I'm just going to keep scaling like this. It's so easy and we have such a great relationship with our bank. And then their bank sold um, the notes to another bank and I'm not going to say their names. And this other bank, he said, I convince." They didn't even know what they were buying because when they got on the phone and we started explaining what we were doing, they were like, we're not doing that anymore. We're not giving you any money anymore. We're actually going to start calling some of these notes and we're redoing all the covenants uh, that we had in our relationship with you because they didn't care to move into dental. They just happened to buy some, some, some loans and some of them were dental, I guess. So then he had a friend reach out to him who was a dentist who had multiple locations and that friend said, Hey, they're doing the same thing to me. I'm suing them. And he's the other guy said, I can't sue them. I, I'm in this whole relationship with them. And I just need to figure out how to get out of it peacefully. I'm selling practices. The, the dentist actually ended up winning. And he, he got like some kind of sweet deal from the bank, uh, from, the, from the judgment. And the other guy kind of had to just work his way out of it. In my head, I'm sitting there going, man, is this something that's like prevalent that happens? Because that's scary if you have five practices and they can and you have notes on all of them and they can just sell it and he had, he loved his relationship he was like it was the best bank we had the best relationship but that person he had that relationship with just kind of pulled like didn't pull the rug on him but the bank did is that common um like I said I don't hear it too often uh Gary it, it, I'm sure it happens probably more so than I hear about it um and, and that's where like I said working with an institution getting everything in writing up front of, of the expectations of the covenants. And to your point, like I said, it is kind of set in stone. And if, if, if the customer wasn't, wasn't doing their side of the things, the bank could come after them. So it sounds like he just flipped it, he or she just flipped a script and went after the bank for changing the terms and things on the covenant. So I, I don't hear that too often. Um, I do hear more often know where doctors, you know, they'll be talking to their, their, their banker and they'll say, yes, you know, I got a word of mouth deal. Essentially he or she's guaranteed. I can continue to grow for the next five years with them. I can do X number of million dollars in lending per year. Mm. But the problem with that is that person doesn't make the decision at, at the mm. end of the day. You know, someone behind the, behind the screens, the, the wizard of Oz and, you know, within the bank, which is so usually an you, underwriter. So how do you um, know yeah. when you're, safe like how do you know that hey this is good like, how do you navigate that uh yeah and that's where like i said we actually work with clients to work with banks and institutions financial institutions to essentially get this all up front in writing both on the essentially a refinance refinance an entire amount of the debt and then a lot of times what we give we look to achieve to get them is a guidance line of credit and essentially what that is is that it's their hunting license to go out where there'd be a five million dollar guidance facility, or if it's a $10 million one, and it resets every year. But it's very specific to a set of guidelines that they must look at every time they look at a deal or de novo or an acquisition. They must look at that and, and fall within those metrics, and then they can move on it very quick versus having to go through the underwriting and get a full reapproval, which is where someone could say no at the end of the day. So yeah, but you how know do you your protect box. yourself? How do you protect yourself against like, what if a bank changes their mind that they don't want to work in dental anymore or they, they sell it or whatever? How, like, is there any protection against that? Or is it just kind of like, that's just the world that we live in? 
Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I, I'm not sure if I have the answer, honestly, Gary, on that because it's probably more of a legal question than anything um, on the legality of the documents that were provided and things like that. So you're, you're recommending I, I, everybody just sue the banks? Is that what you're saying? That's your legal <laughs> recommendation? No, because that can be I'm costly sorry. too. Um, you know, it just kind of depends. I, I think in that instance, I personally would push back, have a conversation, see what you can get, come to a, a a middle ground to some degree. And if you can't get that, you're more than welcome to give someone like us a call because we have a Rolodex of well over 20 institutions that we work with that can, that would gladly pick up a loan more times than uh, not, take a look at it, do all of that, refinance it, put it on so a structure. Plenty, there's plenty of sense. competitors to your initial point when we started. There's plenty of competitors out there. There's plenty of opportunities for banks wanting your business. So if someone says, I don't want this anymore, someone else will take take the deal more than likely. More times than not, yes. It, it just it just depends. I mean, like I said, dentistry and, and dentists have the, one of the lowest default rates in the industry. I mean, I'm mean, not just industry, just out of all in the, the different world. industries. Yeah. In the, yeah, in the world. So a lot of banks want to work with them. The banks you hear about most in the space are usually more in the business banking space. So I would say you got some big ones out there like Bank of America. You got uh, PNC Bank, Wells Fargo, Provide You know, is now pretty large in, in what they're doing. You got TD Bank. A lot of banks out there doing this in a space. However, the space you work in for the type of clients we work with is completely different. And yeah. it's a lot of ones you may not hear of, but they have this niche within the dental industry, know exactly what they're looking for. And for us, we're looking at the covenants, to your point earlier, where we're less worried about rate and, and scaling up. You know, 1% rate, 2% rate for a client that they can move quickly on large deals and not get caught up with all the covenants and the, the legal, the legal uh, ramifications of changes and switching or organizations and things like that when you do a restructure. We look at that to make sure it makes sense today, but not just today, but 10 years from now from what they want to achieve. So they don't get awesome. in that spot that you're talking about. Um, yeah. and, and sometimes you just, it's by chance, you can't avoid it. But like I said, all the clients we've helped with thus far, I have not heard of any situations where they ran into an issue other than when they brought an acquisition to the table that didn't fit the box they initially agreed upon. And yeah. That's really, so, yeah. Throwing curveballs. Yeah. Adam late, late in the, and even then the that institution might be able to still move forward with it. They just got to do a little bit more work to, to get okay with it. Got it. And do you, do you see as you got a lot of banks coming to the space, you have a lot of private equity. And what a lot of people don't understand why the private equity is moving into dental is to your point earlier, if you and I started a, um, a company, Mark, like any company of any stripe, it's a 95% failure rate, like any company. Yeah. But if you start yeah. in dental, in dental, it's, there's only like a 10% failure rate. Like, so you're flipping the whole model on its head and it's a very, very safe place. And especially when there's a down economy, you tend to put your money where it's safer, not where it's more risky. So you have all these people running to dental. What are some things that people should think through before picking a partner like Polaris, but also picking the right bank to work with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, bank, like I said, same thing like we talked about before to some degree. Find one that fits your needs today and find one that fits your needs five years from now uh, to some degree and, and get everything up and so writing. You have to know where you're sure. going though. You have you to have, know where you you're going. You can't just be like, oh, we're just hoping another practice. And you have to know, you have to have a vision and a game plan. And that's the first thing we, we ask you know, at, at Polaris, you know, what are you looking to build? Why are you looking to build it? Where do you see yourself in five years? Because we need to understand what that, that journey looks like 
so we can kind of help create that path for you uh, to some degree because they might have a path in mind. But once we figure out the why, the what, and the when, we may have to offer some alternatives to that because it might not make sense or speed up the process or slow it down if it's just not scalable that quickly. So there's a lot of things we go into. Um, and, and I think you know the why behind Polaris, honestly, is is the educational aspect. You mentioned it. You had, you know, I had Parent on the call a couple of times. We do a lot of educational seminars. But I think the reason for that is we try to educate you know, the dentists out there on, on what to do, how to do it, uh, where not to fail in a lot of cases. But we're a, uh, basically a, an entire life cycle of being a group practice or DSO. We have products to or services really to get you at each, at each point of the stage. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it could be starting with what we call discovery day having initial conversation and you just don't know what you don't know, but you want to step in the face, step, in, step into the space, but you just, you're just not sure where the failures are going to come and really how long it's going to take you to get there. We'll do a deep dive with you one-on-one for an entire day and tell you the good, bad, the ugly, and, and what that process looks like. And if you want to proceed with it, it may be talking about an associate equity program, which is kind of the early stages, setting something up to kind of help and you know, attract and retain talent. It could be, you know, like I said, we do the buy side advisory where we can actually look at as as a consulting client, look at what they're looking to buy, make sure it makes sense, make sure it fits into your model. If we already know what your culture is like, make sure the culture fits in and understand why you're buying it, how it's going to actually boost your EBITDA and boost your valuation post sale, if at all. Um, in some cases, you know, one I had two weeks ago, I had to have a conversation with a client and said, this is actually going to take you backwards. Unfortunately, I know it looks great on paper or not on paper. It looks great when you step foot in there, but yeah. from a cost perspective and mm-hmm. from an EBITDA perspective, you have to make you. drastic changes just to break even um, at the end of the day after you hire an associate to replace a seller and so forth. So it just didn't make sense. Um, and we yeah. talked, we helped to talk them out of it, you know, at the end of the day versus making a costly million dollar mistake on a purchase. Um, and then the constri- strategic consulting, we don't want to be your forever consultant, you know, at the end of the day. And as best way to put it, we try to come in from a leadership perspective and, and really show you from how to lead the team, where you want to go, go through all the numbers. We do a full blown evaluation to understand where you stand today, what's going to look like five years from now and help you make those improvements along the way and, and look at the staff and, and pretty much everything from A to Z. And then we hope to step out in 12 to 18 months. Uh, we usually don't like to have consulting clients past 18 months because we want to teach you how to do it. And then a lot of times, once you get there in 12 to 18 months, we're helping you to backfill us with a COO or a CO, CFO, of which we help get you in touch with people to do so. So and help you know look at that backfill at the end of the day. And then you know with partnerships, you know I deal firsthand with partnerships transitions. So have a handful I'm working on right now where it's one of them in particular. It's you know two guys that went to college together. They want to merge forces together and create a group practice. You know, one has a handful of locations. The other one has a handful of locations. What does that look like? And how does that, that sync up together? What is the ownership percentages? Doing all of that for them um, as a third party and making sure it's fair. You know, today. And then doing a co- complete restructure uh, because then you have to look at the legal structure with an attorney and make sure it makes sense from a legal perspective, but also from a business lens. And that's where we come in and kind of earn our buck is we look at it from a business lens because the other client I'm working with had a great legal structure, um, great on paper, but he's having issues growing and having issues bringing associates in, offering programs and things like that because the legal structure wasn't planned out five years out. It was planned out two years out. 
So that, and then like I said, the debt recapitalization, not going too much detail there. That's where we really help clients get to the right lender. It's probably the best way to put it. Get them the right line because there's a a line of credit. that are going to be able to support their vision. Yeah. Pairing that up. That's a great, that's a great point. Um, If someone wanted to reach out and work with you, how, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, just reach out to me, email um, or phone number, honestly. <laughs> At the end of the day, just reach out. And like I said, we have a conversation, love learning about the business, understanding what the struggles may be, understanding where you want to take that journey to the next step. Um, and then we can kind of talk through you know, what all that looks like. I can provide some some input. Uh, we can, you know, like I said, I usually do it on a Zoom call. So you can kind of see me in person, have a conversation. And then like I said, my my goal is never to to sign a client up right away. It's more so to truly understand their needs and then make sure it makes sense for them at the end of the day. I'd rather not sign someone up if it doesn't make sense and wait a year till they hear more podcasts from players and learn more and really get to that spot where they feel comfortable proceeding to what they want to accomplish. That's a great call out. So make sure you, you guys check out uh, Polaris's podcast. Perrin does a great job on that. And Mark, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the event in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to having you there. And like I said, we have a great speaking session with a lot of great speakers coming up. That's awesome. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Perfect. I appreciate it, Gary.